three, I told my granddaughter just before she turned seven this year, she went, what? She only had a birthday two weeks ago, but um, she just realised um, she's got to wait 12 months, but that's okay. Um, welcome to 2023. And every time I feel we, we start a whole new year, there's something inside of me, and I'm assuming it's most of us, that wonders if this year is going to be better than the last. We look forward to the new year, hopefully. Will the year be easier and more comfortable or some will be looking forward to things like weddings and, and special birthdays, their last year at high school, all those sorts of things. Others are going to be receiving a bad health diagnosis this year. Uh, maybe they're going to find that they, the news of a loss of a parent or a child um, the loss of a job or, or something else significant in that process. So we have no real idea what the year is going to look like, but praise the Lord, he does. And we need to put our faith and trust in him. And so in order to grow as a Christian, in order to, to be able to move forward, one of the things that I think most of us need to understand is it's hard, really hard to grow if you don't know where you're starting from. If, it's, if you ever walked into a shopping centre and you want to know where a particular store is and you've never been there before, one of the places you could go is to the little maps that most of them have and it gives you a little you are here sign and tells you your starting point and the end point. And I want that to be what this series is all about. It's called The Starting Point. It's really establishing where we are. Today is, is going to be very much that. It's, it's, not, it's a little different to normal from my perspective, but it's, I want us to establish and understand where we're starting from as Christians and as Christ followers. And so today is, is going to be a whole heap of stuff that's going to be about showing us or understanding where we are in our world and where our world is in regards to that. We need to understand what we're up against. And so again this year, uh, I felt it was necessary to give us this starting point. And it's, it's my heart and desire that every one of us will determine that this year will be a year in which we want to grow, not just, it, it won't just happen unless we want it to happen. And it doesn't matter whether you're 5, 15 or 55 or 105, that it's the intent or the desire to grow needs to be there. Otherwise, um, the, the famous quote that says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every single time. And I think that's, the, that's one of the struggles that we have as Christians. If we don't know what we're looking for or wanting to head to, we're not going to really grow that much or effectively. So no matter what age, no matter where, what culture, what, what place we've come from in our past, my prayer is that we might be willing to do whatever it takes to grow in the knowledge and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ and walk the walk that he walked and at the same time, I think we need to be realising that our fight will against, is, is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. But our world is not for us as for Christ followers. 
And I guess that's the battle. It's going to be hard at times because our governments are leading or making uh, regulations and laws. There's stuff that comes into effect today. Talk about that in a minute. Um, There's a whole heap of stuff that's going on at that level that will affect us and does affect us. And I think it's important we understand what the biblical mandate is. And I guess right up front, I want to let you know that I believe that this, this book, this is my Bible, this is the book that I believe in wholeheartedly. I believe it is the Word of God. I believe that it's true and it's infallible. I believe that what God has shown us and wants to show us is contained within these pages. I, I don't doubt it. And I know many in our world won't agree with that statement. And there are churches who won't agree with that statement um, because we, we balance up what the Word of God says about culture and many try and balance that off. It doesn't work. And the reason that it doesn't work is because if, if some of this is not true, who's to determine what is true? It, it's either all true or none of it could be true. None of it could, no, any of it could be, none of it could be. So it's, it's either or, it's not a both end scenario with the word of God. We either believe it or we don't. And we cannot align it with our culture because God's word is never ending and it doesn't change. And as we begin this year, the starting point that I want us to understand is to make good choices and understand and be well informed of the strategies that are in place that are at play in our nation today that will affect us as Christians, as Christ followers. And and the, the main points, there's a lot of other stuff, but the main points today that I want to share with you comes out of an article, not by, it's not my points, but an article by Martin Niles um, a couple of months ago that he sent out and um, I wanted to just share them because I think what he, the points that he has are very important for us to get and understand if we want to know where we are as, as Christians. And Martin Niles is the managing director of the Australian Christian Lobby, if you didn't know that. And he stands and they, the, the ACL stands up for, our Christ, for Christian values in our society and um, where many people in our culture are desperately needing to hear truth. And we need to recognise that we have the truth. We have it. And the scriptures tell us that sin separates us from God. And Wesley uh, defined sin, John Wesley defined sin as a willful transgression of a known law of God. Um, His mother, on the other hand, I actually like her her whole take on this, and it's written on your sermon notes if you've got them, but it'll be on the screen. She says, this is Susanna Wesley, she says, take this rule in regards to sin. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things, in short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. And what she's saying there is that when we do something that we know is contrary to the way that God wants us to live, no matter how trivial it might seem, no matter even if everybody else is willing to do that, if it 
contravenes the conscience that we have and know that we shouldn't be doing, we are sinning against God. And she's right. When we willingly disobey a known law of God, which is John Wesley's definition, and that he, the reality is that Satan really wants us to doubt the word of God. He wants us to question the word of God. And so he's, he's trying to convince us as individuals and as a nation that the word of God is not good enough, that we need to read this in, a, in an enlightened state or a different way. He doesn't want us to enjoy the fullness of life that the scriptures tell us that we can have. In fact, that was the beginning. That's what Satan did right at the beginning. He, he caused Eve to doubt the word of God. Did God really say? And it was a half-truth. And that's what happens in most of the things that we're working through or need to understand in our culture is that many of the things that we're dealing with are half-truths. They sound good on the surface, but when you dig into it, you find that they're actually undermining what the Word of God says. If we deny God and make ourselves out to be our own God, what will happen will be that we will find ourselves separated from where God wants us to be. And that's what we're doing as a nation. And when, while the groundwork began many, many, many years before, the beginning, I believe, of this redefinition, what, what's happened is the world has, has begun to redefine what God had already and has already defined. Here the world has trying to change what we know is defined in the Scriptures and redefine it in a way that's, that's culturally acceptable. And when we do that, the beginning of this re redefinition for us probably began... Um, back in December 2017, when as a nation we voted to change the, the, the definition of marriage. Now, many things have happened since then, but when the marriage laws were redefined to include same-sex marriage in 2017, we redefined what God has already put in place. And from that point on, the redefinitions have been happening. Some of them sneakily, others have sneaked in under our, under our noses, others are being quite bold and blatant. But the laws that are being made and the proposals that are being presented to Parliament, many times, if we're not careful, they redefine the law that God has put in place. And we need to, as Christ followers, understand that law. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves voting for excuse me, voting for a, a law that seems good on this outside but really undermines a whole heap of other things. And what I want to share with you today is, is really what the Word of God says. So I'm going to share the Word of God, but I want to share then what the world is doing and so that you and I become very much aware of that so that we can go into our world not blind but aware, the starting point. So if we know what we're up against, it will be far easier. Over the coming weeks, I want to deal with how we deal with all of that. But today, it's an awareness thing from that perspective that we will be equipped and we'll be ready to do and stand up against the deluge of misinformation that is coming our way every single day. And that it really is just a blatant disrespect for the Word of God.
And we sit as Christ followers in this whole process, often oblivious to what's going on. And when we make the decision to stand up for God's word, for the truth, we can influence our, our, our society and we can influence our community. That's, what's, that's what we need to do. We should be the force. We have victory in Christ Jesus. We, have, we don't need to fear because he is in control. It's what we just sang. There's no need to fear about what's going on. And, and reality is that our media, I think, is really wanting us to be fearful of what's happening. And many Christians are falling for that. We're becoming fearful when we have victory in Christ Jesus. We don't need to be fearful of those things. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Matthew 5 that says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so that they, for they persecuted the prophets that were before you. We are going to be persecuted. We're going to be held to account. But we need to rejoice and be glad that we're held to account. Then in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the fact that, that we need to stand firm in this whole process, even though you've lost property and the government has taken off your property away from you. I think it's around Hebrews 10, somewhere there. So we need to not fear because greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. So what do we need? What are these points? The first one that we've already talked about to some degree, the definition of marriage. The scripture is really quite clear. It tells us that marriage, this is Hebrews 13, marriage is honourable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. That's the, that's the, the biblical mandate for marriage at this point. God has already defined what marriage is. Now, this is not against people who are homosexual and all that. That is not that at all. This is the definition that the Word of God has given us as one man, one woman for life. When we, many of us, said our vows on our wedding day, it was for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part for life. A monogamous relationship. And while in the scriptures there are many polygamous, polygamous relationships, then we need to realize that everything that's recorded for us in scripture is, is really not approved in scripture. There are many things that, that God doesn't approve of that are written here for us. So while we are called to do some things, and this book is quite honest and, and, and straightforward for us. So it will give us things that are not right. The parallel of the husband and the wife with Christ at the centre of that relationship only makes sense in relation to what, when Jesus talks about that he is, the, his bride is the church. It's, a, it's not wives. It's not plural Genesis 2 says a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, singular, and they will become one flesh. That was the intent right from the beginning. That's the, the guide that God gave us to define marriage by. 
But back in 2017, as I said before, the definition of was changed in Australia and it was redefined from being an exclusively male and female or man and woman to, this is what it actually says now, it's to the union of two people to the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered, entered into for life. Just two people. And what has happened as a result of that change is that we have challenged the creator of all things in redefining what God has already defined. The creator has already given us the definition and we as human beings have begun to assume that we have the responsibility of being a creator by redefining what God has already defined. We're saying that our way is better than his way. The redefinition of marriage literally means that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, with whoever we want. Divorce, we can cohabit with someone, um, with man with man, woman with woman, have multiple partners. That's the redefinition of marriage and the implications of that. Completely against what the Word of God tells us today. And what happened at that point when in 2017 was that we begin, began to stop holding in honour. Marriage is an honourable estate. We read it in Hebrews 13 before. We stopped holding in honour what God commands us to hold in honour. And that's sad. And we need to be aware of that. The second redefinition or definition that has been changed and is changing is the definition of human life. Genesis 2 tells us very clearly that God is the one who makes life. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, The Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life, and man became a living being. It began with God. He is the one that brings life. He makes life and he takes it away. In Hannah's prayer, she was the mother of Samuel and as she left Samuel, she prayed uh, for a baby and Samuel was given to her, but she dedicated Samuel to the Lord and she took Samuel to Elkanah, the high priest, and when he was weaned and she recognised, she says to, or she prays in her prayer in 1 Samuel, the Lord kills and the Lord makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he brings up. She recognised this, this whole concept that God is the one who brings life into being. He is the one that takes life when he deems it necessary. That's God's prerogative. That's the scriptures. And he determines when and where. And in, in his covenant with Noah, God reminded him that he, if, that he would require a reckoning for life. If someone took a life and they weren't supposed to, God wanted, he demanded a reckoning or, or a payment for that. And he says, surely for your life, but I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. It was God's prerogative. But what did we do? We said that we will create life. We will determine what it is, when it is. 
If it's not what we want, we'll destroy it. If it's what we do want, we'll have it. If it suits us, we'll take a life when it suits us. We'll put into place everything that needs to happen. We decide when life will begin and when, we are, when, we, when it will end. It will, it, it's redefined our, our life as being outside of the womb and breathing air. And we've decided that if we're not outside of the womb and breathing air, that we're not worthy of living because it's not really a life at that point. In Queensland alone, this in, in last year, I think it was, or the year before, 14,000 abortions took place in Queensland. And today, January the 1st, 2023, the voluntary assisted dying legislation becomes law in Queensland. Now we're determining who dies when and all of those sorts of things. God is, we've redefined human life. We should be ashamed of that. Third one, we've, we've redefined or we, the definition of gender identity. We've redefined that. Way back in Genesis, God defined gender as male and female. Genesis 1, he says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're also created in his image. Along with, with gender types, God defined the role of men and women in Genesis. He gave us the process by which we must live. Man was to be a worker, a keeper, a father, a husband, and the spiritual head, while the woman was to be a helper, a mother, a wife, and a support to her husband and to the glory of man. God put that in place, but we're not satisfied with that as a nation. And what happened, that's old-fashioned. How dare we think that there is only two genders and as a result, we decided it was good for us to make up our own identities based on how we feel. No longer have we just male and female option on our marriage form. Even when, when we fill out a marriage form, it's person one and person two now. Currently, a bill has been tabled in Canberra to remove the gendered language from all legislation. Children are being trained to think outside of the male and female identities from a very young age. Back in 2016, the, the, according to the Daily Telegraph, children as young as three were being referred to hospital because of their gender dysphoria. That's crazy. This is leaving children, teenagers, young adults, and adults with a mixed up identity and the only answer to this or the fix this lies back in the word of God. And we need to be aware that's the, that's the culture that we're entering into. The fourth redefinition is the definition of race. Now this is a sneaky one because as far as the scriptures are concerned, there's only one race, the human race. And we're all equal before God. 
There is no, Romans 10 says, there is no distinction between Greek and Jew for the same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon him. And again, Paul quotes in Colossians, he's quoted as saying, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in Christ Jesus. But science tells us that there is, that we're something different. There are many different races. And as a result, we have to develop voices in our parliament to give people a say where they don't really need a say if we were one race. But by giving people a voice, we're actually dividing the nation back again. We're dividing up our nation into races and God has already defined it. We are one people. In fact, I was reading an article of an Aboriginal leader. One of he he he's quoted as saying they're not against, they're not for this voice legislation that is before Parliament at all. And the reason for that is because he says, and he's right, that there are many white Australians who who are indigenous to Australia. And by giving our Aboriginals, a, a voice, we are dividing the nation again and we are separating them from us or us from them. We're one people, one human race, but we've defined it differently. And by developing our own definition of race, we, den- we, we deny and de- deny the word of God and we divide the nation. And again, we're taking on the responsibility of our creator and lastly, there's, there's others, but in the interest of time, the definition of truth, perhaps one of the most quoted scripture references in regard to truth is in John 14, 6, where it tells us, or Jesus said to them, I am the way, I am the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But again, we've defined, redefined truth. Truth is what I believe it to be. My truth and your truth don't have to agree. They don't have to be the same. And this has led to everyone deciding what is true for me. And that's okay. We've been told that truth is subjective, depending on who I am, how I feel, whatever it is, and we've settled for that. It lies in our perception of things. If, if we believe something to be true, then it is true. Satan has blurred the line of truth. He, I said before, he did it with Eve. Did God really say that you can't eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Half truth. He said you can't eat from that one tree in the center of the garden. And he continues it today in our culture. Did God really say that you cannot love a homosexual? No, he didn't. He says we are to love each other. Did God really say that you need to be perfect and never make a mistake and otherwise you're going to die and go to hell? No, he didn't. And yet we look at the word holiness and sanctification and and what it means to be living that way and we attribute that to, well, I can't be perfect. I might as well give up. Did God really say that that he only helps those who help themselves? No, he didn't. It's not even found in Scripture unless you want to find the book of Hezekiah somewhere. 
Did God really say if you trust him, you'll have no problems in life? No, he didn't. But that's what we're told. He wants to confuse what God has said with half-truths. And that means that science will deny the authority of Scripture and it will continue to do so. And so when we walk out into our society, when we walk into our, our community, we need to be very aware of what we're heading into, that these things that are being presented to Parliament to redefine things are really a redefinition. They're take, we're taking on the responsibility of our creator. Jesus said that his word is truth. In fact, in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them. It's this prayer that Jesus prayed for you and I. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And while standing before Pilate, at his crucifixion or just before his crucifixion, Jesus makes this statement and he says, for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. And we have the word of truth. We have it today. And we can decide for ourselves whether we're going to accept the word of God as truth or we're going to let it be whatever we redefine things to be. All of the redefinitions that are happening attack this book. All of them do. And it won't stop where it is now. It will continue to, de to redefine what God has defined. It will continue to take away the truth and, and try and put it into some different light. We need to stand up. We need to stand up for truth. And what I want us to understand today is that the starting point for which we go into our society is that we are entering into a society that has no clue of truth. They have no idea that there is a need for salvation. They have no clue that they need to be rescued or freed from anything because we are free to do what we want already. We live in a culture that has, that has absorbed all of this information and we're not doing much about it. Our world is being taught anti-God, anti-biblical and anti-Christian principles and selling them as truth and the media is endorsing it. And it's a very dangerous place to be because the scriptures are quite clear that every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. That's in Proverbs. And right back at the introduction of the law, God spoke these words to the nation of Israel. He says, you shall not add to the words which I command, nor take from it, that you might keep the commandments of the law your God, which I command you. 
And perhaps even a more recognisable, well-known verse from Revelation, which says much the same thing. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. When we redefine what God has already defined, we put ourselves in a very dangerous position. So from the very beginning of this book to the end of this book, God has warned us that changing his word or redefining his word to suit our own agenda will result in us being excluded from the kingdom of God. Is it any wonder our nation is struggling And yet there's churches who do that, agree with the, the government legislation. How do, how do some churches assimilate these new definitions into their doctrine? The answer is quite simple. We don't regard or they don't regard the word of God as the word of God. It's just a book. It's ready to be changed in light of culture. They don't regard the scriptures as, in, as infallible or inerrant. That's why it's, it's really important for us to take hold of this word and to, to read it and study it and meditate on it and believe it. Because as I said right at the beginning, if, if there's anything in here that is not true, anything, then that puts in doubt everything. And we need to be careful how we live our life in that. It's important to use this book as the baseline for the decisions that you and I are going to be making this year. If we don't believe it to be the word of God, then everything is up for change. And who are we to say that we can't redefine what God has already defined? So this year, I'm, I'm asking whether you would consider begin to do something perhaps you've not done. I don't know how many do read through the Scriptures in a year. Some of you do, I know that. But I want to challenge you to give it, give it a shot. Try and get through the Scriptures. It's not a rush race to get through. It's not about that. It's, it's understanding what the Word of God says. And I want to challenge you. Set a time where you will read, where you'll study, where you'll meditate, where you'll memorise the Word of God. Take the time, even if it's 15, 20 minutes a day, to sit down and start reading through the Scriptures. If you, if you have a hard copy like this, one of the best ways that I, I do, I'm reading on my iPad these days, but I used to find, I find how many pages are in my Bible that are Scripture stuff, not all the index and stuff, but... How many, how many pages are actually in the Scriptures, and I'll divide that up by um, 365. That tells me how many pages a day I kind of need to get through. It's not that hard. It's usually two or three pages. And if we're diligent in that, I want to challenge you to, to work through that. Fine, there are many reading plans that you can do that highlight the insights that you learn. If you're reading on, on a device like this, it's easy to highlight. If you're reading something like that, you'll need a highlighting pen or something or a colouring pencil or something, but highlight them. 
Write down questions that you might have so that you can then take it to your small group. Join a small group. Be part of this learning experience because reality is that this, the, the church service is not intended for teaching. While teaching happens in this place, and it should in some regards, the primary reason for gathering on a Sunday is worship. And when we worship him by serving, there will be things that we'll learn. The primary place to learn to be getting the teaching is in the weeks, during the week, in a small group. There's a scripture about the Bereans of the, in the New Testament and it was a roundabout with Paul's messages and it says this, it's in uh, Acts 17, it says, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica and they listened eagerly to Paul's message and they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. I want you to do that. I challenge you to do that. And if there's some things that I'm saying from the front or Pastor Jasmine saying from the front, challenge us on that. Study the scriptures. Take your sermon notes and read through the passages that are there for you. Try and read through the scriptures. Don't rely on Sunday morning for your teaching. Because the primary reason for this day is worship. And we come to worship him. And the world is becoming more and more anti-Christian. And unless we are aware of what the word of God says, we might just approve a law that is redefining what God has already said without even knowing. Because they sound good. They sound really good sometimes. This book is God's word. This book is is his instruction for us. His word never changes. And we need to read, read it. Maybe you need you can listen to it. Maybe you can do something else in regards to getting it into your mind. We need to obey it. And we need to be in agreement with it. And only then will, be, will we be the instruments of light that we're called to be in our community. Because if we don't believe this, then we might as well throw it in the bin. And if we're not living our life in accordance with that, we might very well find ourselves out of the kingdom of God. Because sin separates us from God. And when we do meditate on it and when we obey it and when we follow it, it will be only then that our life will glorify our Father in heaven. And he will be able, you will be able to hear his words. He will be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. May God bless you this year. I pray that we will become more and more aware of what, what God's desire for us is to do, to stand up as a Christian by the way, I don't like the word Christian. I'll talk about more of that next week, I think. But I, I don't like the word Christian because, again, our culture has redefined Christian too. 
And I would typically more likely use the term Christ follower because I believe it says more. But more about that next time. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your care for us, your attention to detail, your desire for us to know you and to, and to serve you and to obey you. And Father, we, we have been indoctrinated in so many different ways and there's so many things happening behind the scenes that we feel like sometimes that we're on our own. We're standing up for things that no one agrees with and yet, Lord, your word is truth. And we need to pray for one another, Father. Help us to do that diligently. Help us to support one another. Help us to encourage each other all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Help us to be faithful to your word, to teach truth, to live truth, so that we might glorify our Father in heaven. May your name be honoured and may your kingdom come and your will be done in this place, in this community, in our society. Father, make us aware, help us to be bold and courageous, to stand up for righteousness and truth. And I pray this now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.